Really quick, if you have your Bibles, turn to Titus. Turn to Titus chapter 2. Turn to Titus chapter 2. Whenever we look at uh, many different scenarios that uh, play out in our lives, what we see many times is a confusion of roles that happen between people. Sometimes what we think is a stereotypical, uh, if you will, application in one area of life is not really the way it is in real life. So in our culture today, we have a lot of people that uh, tend to confuse gender roles. They tend to assume that um, ultimately God has designed men a certain way, but really it's not really men. Women should be able to do the same exact things. And unfortunately, what we end up happening in our culture is a confusion of gender roles. And what happens for many of us in the church is when we look at Scripture, we step back and go, wait a second, here's what Scripture says, here's what culture says, I'm getting confused. Well, this morning we're going to take a look specifically at some of these things that Paul addresses in the book of Titus. And I I hope and pray that today's sermon will challenge you to see what God sees. Not what Pastor Roman's saying or what culture's screaming, but ultimately what Paul the Apostle received from Jesus Christ himself. I think many times we miss the authority with which Paul wrote these letters. And unfortunately, what most people do when they read the, the letters from the Apostle Paul, they like to read their own interpretation in, rather than taking at face value what Paul himself says. Well, we're going to be looking at Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. We're just going to read through all 10 of these, and then we're going to kind of uh, split up the different areas that Paul deals with um, as we look at many categories that Paul literally works through in this text. Let's start with verse number 1, and this is to, to Titus. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet. Chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. So this morning we're going to be looking at multiple categories that Paul deals with in just this short uh, text here in in chapter 2. We're going to be looking at older men, verses 1 through 2, older women, verse 3, Younger women, verses 4 and 5. Younger men, verses 6 through 8. And bond servants, verses 9 through 10. So let's start off with older men, verses 1 through 2. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. So Paul starts off by saying, but as for you, 
And essentially what he's doing is there's a different expectation for Titus than those who are promoting false teaching that he mentioned in the previous chapter and imposing the legalism on the church that they did. Titus is to promote proper teaching, which essentially is to be lived out with proper living. Sound doctrine is essentially being taught how to precisely live this life of faith. What Paul is essentially telling Titus is, your role in the Great Commission is to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Paul is still about the Great Commission. And in part of that Great Commission is teaching other disciples what it is that Jesus himself taught when it comes to the morals in life. What tends to happen to many churches today is there's a separation from those two. Many will come to saving faith and then they're left to themselves to figure out what it is the Bible really says. There needs to be an intentional discipleship that goes on in each and every person's life that's in the church. It is not enough to tell people what to watch out for, but you need to also instruct in what needs to be done. One of the greatest mistakes parents make is telling their children no to a bunch of things without ever telling them or directing them in what truly matters. It's very easy to just say no, isn't it? But what is the yes to? And unfortunately, what ends up happening is many children grow up with just a bunch of things said to them about what not to do without ever a direction of what to do. It is essentially what happened during the pandemic, is it not? All the things that we shouldn't be doing. Now, what are we supposed to do? Well, (laughs) we'll figure that out. No clear instructions whatsoever on what should be done to prevent certain things, except for don't do these things. Don't socialize, don't talk, don't be around anybody. There was really no instruction on what to do to prevent or really help. God does not do that with us. God does not just tell us things to stay away from. He tells us what we ought to do as well. If you as a believer have grown up in a church where all you're being told is what not to do, then you're not being told the whole. You're only being told the part. And unfortunately, for those of us that have ever been in a legalistic setting, there's all these rules we've lived with that people have imposed without ever directing us on how to actually do battle, how to actually do what's right. It's just stay away from this, stay away from them, don't do these other things. But how to actually live it? Figure it out. God does not do that with us which is one of the reasons why he warns about false teachers, and now he goes right into telling Titus to tell people how they ought to live, what needs to be in their lives. And he starts off by directing older men in the church. What he starts off with, the first word is sober. We talked about this previously. The idea here is level-headed, thinking straight. If you're an older man, you should have a little more reasoning behind your lifestyle. There should be a level head that you have, thinking straight. There should be better control over your emotions at that point in life. I think every older man sees a younger man and goes, man, that kid's passionate and he's losing his cool way too easily like I used to. 
And yet we mature, right? And as time goes on, there are things that really characterize an older man. Or at least should. There are exceptions to the rule. It's also no accident that they are mentioned first as they lead the others in the church. Older men should be the leaders of the church to pass on to the next generation. An older man is not easily given over to addictions as there should be an immaturity about him that young people do not have, young men particularly do not have. Another word that's mentioned here is reverent. The idea here is that he leads his life dignified. Someone that others would respect and look up to. The fact is that this is something that Titus, who is actually younger, should be teaching them. you believe that? Titus, who's a younger man, is supposed to teach these older men this part. Which is important to point out here. That Titus, though he's younger, is instructed by Paul to teach older men these important truths. Titus himself was taught these things by the Apostle Paul. And Titus now was to implement that in the elders or older men, if you will, in the church. Another quality of an older man that's to be seen is temperate. The idea here is a God-defined balance. Living the life God would have in balance and moderated and controlled. An important feature one must have if they want to be an instrument of God to teach those that are younger. The older man knows what he's done wrong as a young man and is able to share that insight in how to live a balanced life with another younger man. One of the greatest tools that God has used in the church is when an older man can come alongside a younger man and say, listen, you know what? I was you once. I've done the things you've done. I'm, I've done the things you're doing right now. And I want to tell you, this is very dangerous if you keep going down this path. It's one of the benefits of an older man in the church that really understands what they've been through and how God has molded them. Here's an important quality right here that's mentioned. Sound in faith, love, and patience. This is an idea that one lives out his faith well by having others with a love and endurance that he has for them. When you get older, when I get older, we should be more understanding of others and their mistakes and faults. Because we've made them ourselves. Doesn't mean you can't instruct. Doesn't mean there aren't times to call things out. It just means that when you and I mature in the faith, particularly what's instructed here, is the older men are to be more understanding with love and patience. A mature man understands what it took for God to work in their own lives, so they see what it will take for God to work others in other people's lives. One of the worst things that we can do is assume that God needs to work on our own timetable or our own timeline, if you will. And what's really unfortunate is we want God to be patient with us, but we're so impatient with other people. We want our children to be what we are today. That's not possible. And I hate to break it to all of us, it's impossible, literally. Because there are certain things that every one of us has had to go through and will need to go through. Men that are not under the authority of Scripture will get rather hardened over time rather than softened. I don't know if you've ever met the grumpy old man. 
that hates everybody around him, doesn't want to talk to anybody. He's still trying to win back all the lost arguments to his wife over the years. You just see him spitting. That's not this guy. The older men in the church are to be controlled, should have a softness to them because grace has worked mightily in their lives. That they have a love for others that they ought to have. Unfortunately, unfortunately, much of culture today doesn't like this kind of older man. They don't like older men that lead younger men to being more controlled and understanding in life. In fact, one of the unfortunate things is we have phrases like this in our culture, let boys be boys. It doesn't apply when they're teenagers and adults in the same way. And unfortunately, you have little boys in 30-year-old bodies that are still boys, and they should be men. And this is what it takes from Scripture, that older men are to teach these young men what it means by being sound in the faith themselves, which means taking what the Word of God says and themselves living it out before them. Let's look at older women, verse 3. The older women likewise that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Just like older men, the older women have certain struggles and temptations that they need to deal with as well. And areas that God wants them to help others with as well. Men and women typically have different areas of weakness. I don't know if you know that. Scripture is pretty clear in many of the different roles that we see expounded on even in the book of Ephesians. That's why the exhortations listed are different for both. I don't believe in any way that Paul, when he's writing this to Titus, is going, let me just throw some words out there. Hopefully this will work out. He had intentional words that he used for each category of people that he was dealing with. The first one that we see here is that they're reverent in behavior. Obviously, a similar word to what was just mentioned. The idea here is sacredness or reverence before God. This is displayed by how the next words are lived out. How is that lived out? Well, the first one that's mentioned, not slanderers. The idea here is one who maligns others' character in gossip or is an accuser. It's not simply sharing of something that's happened, but rather intentionally putting another down through deceit to elevate one's status. It is the woman that puts down another by false accusation. It is literally the opposite of reverent. It's truly devilish. Not given to much wine. The idea here is not under the influence of something. Now, mind you, we saw the qualifications of an elder, similar standard. Why would it be mentioned here in the groupings of different categories of elder and younger people in the church? Well, maybe this is one of those areas that had to be reminded, particularly in this category. Though the same qualifications mentioned for an elder, it is not that an older woman cannot struggle with this. It's something that seemingly needed to be addressed in the context of Crete and where they lived. All of these things were written in the context of people living in a real place and time that had real struggles like you and I do. 
And for us to just bypass us and go, well, that's not really a struggle. I can tell you right now, as a pastor, there are plenty of older women that do give in to this a lot. They need to have their wine. Like, I can't live without my wine on a Friday. It's the truth. Now, whether you want to argue with Scripture is beyond the point. The reality is it's true. It was true back then. It's true today. Teachers of good things. It's clear that some of what's in mind here is mentioned in the verse. The idea here, and this is where he's going to follow up and tell them, here's what you need to teach the younger woman to be and how to live. The idea here is to guide younger women in how to live a godly woman's life. Here's one of the big mistakes that people make in the church all the time. They want to take their experience and not realign it to God's Word. They want to preach experience over God's Word. And the goal is not to preach experience or teach others experience, but essentially go, through my experiences, knowing how God works, I was wrong here, but God convicted me, and here's what changed, and here's why I'm lining up to God's Word now. And how you should as well. Whenever you ask somebody questions on how, how uh, someone should date someone, right? Like this is such a subjective question if you were to ask people in the church. Because we've all met our spouses in different ways. Have we not? Some was high school sweetheart. Others were older in college. Others were, hey, our families were friends. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, we liked each other. Right? All different contexts. Not a one of them is like, Hey, the Bible says you need to do it my way in how to meet them. But Scripture has certain principles in what you should be when you want to look for that, when you want to pursue that. And it's those things that are most important. One of the most con- big concerns that I think a lot of us have, particularly if we're younger and we're single, we're like, man, it'll never happen to me. I'll never get married. There's no hope. Must be easy for everybody else to talk. That was me. Hated being single. Hated it. And one of the things that I realized as God worked in my life and I met my wife at college is that there are certain things you can't put together until God shows you later on. You can assume certain things. You can pursue certain things. But it isn't until God puts those two together that you're going to see looking back, oh, now that makes sense. Now that makes sense that my wife and I worked during the summer even though I literally signed a contract with Pensacola and I had to work every summer, and I literally had two, three weeks to come home to my family. Didn't get it back then. Totally didn't get it, because I had hated debt. I wanted to get out of debt as quick as possible when I came to college. And any other way, I'm not meeting my wife. That's how God's providence works. But that doesn't mean that that's exactly the avenue that he's going to take now in your life. He's going to still providentially work in different ways in your life, but the key is definitely to make sure that you are living what he wants you to live. Sometimes we're just frozen by the particulars of opinion. And we need to be ingrained in the Word of God. Older women are absolutely needed in the church. And I want to make this statement very clear. They should never be put on the shelf. They are needed and necessary for younger women in the church. Because they have wisdom that they can pass on to the next generation. The specifics which younger women are to glean from older women are mentioned here in verses 4 through 5. 
What are the particulars that older women should be passing on to younger women and women should be exemplif- younger women should be exemplifying in their lives? Well, here they are. Younger women, verses 4 and 5. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Admonish. This was absolutely fascinating. I've looked at so many definitions of the word admonish. This was the best one I've ever found. The idea here is to restore to a right mind or way of thinking. So whenever we are to admonish, and Scripture says this a lot, admonish one another. That means that there's something that needs to be corrected in our way of thinking. Let me tell you right now, if there's an area that's really confusing today, it's the role of a young woman. Very much confused in today's culture. Should she stay home? Should she not stay home? Should she work? Should she not work? How do I do this? And then you've got the battlegrounds, right? You see them online. Like, I'm on this side. You're on this side. You're not doing it God's way. You're not doing it God's way. I don't know if you've ever seen those. And what's unfortunate is that Paul is making this clear that older women are going to teach this to younger women. Let me, let me pause for a moment and make a statement that might sound a little controversial, but I'm, I'm trying to get to the heart of this. Online forums are good, and they can be helpful. But the best context for you and I to learn is to engage with other people that have been there, done that, and are in our local community. Any online teacher that you download their sermons or watch their sermons or download their podcast, perfectly fine, and I'm in no way opposed as a pastor with that. What I think is disheartening is that you have people in your local community that you literally bypass every single day. You go, I don't need your advice. I'm going to go with this other obscure person that I've never really met that I'm now somehow in a relationship with. Because I had them sign a book, they now have a personal connection to my life. Folks, God put people in your life to help you on your journey locally in a local church. And this is in that context. One of the things culture is always pushed against, ultimately, is the family life. So what's, the, what's the first thing that's mentioned here to admonish? Love their husbands. Well, that should be a no-brainer. Hey, tell the younger ladies they need to love their husbands. Sounds so easy, right? Pretty straightforward. Love your man. This is an important first point that's mentioned. A love for a spouse cannot be underestimated. Because it's from that love the family's built. The marriage is rocky, the family's rocky. Doesn't matter how much you tell yourself and others that it's fine. An older woman should teach the younger women by loving their own husbands well. And be an example to younger women in how it's done. This is why discipleship is so crucial in every church context. Husband bashing should not be part of the instructions. And yet it comes from a lot of older women. You don't know what you don't know what they're like. That is not godly advice. Because the truth is, I think all of us have had bad days. And yes, some people really have it terrible, and I'm not in any way bypassing the fact that there are abusive relationships and abusive marriages. I'm not arguing about that at all. And we'll talk about that here in a moment, by the way. 
It's crucial that these things are taught by somebody that's already been there, done that. What's the next thing that's mentioned? Love their children. Notice that love their children doesn't come before love their husbands. There's a certain order that Paul puts them in. This is something that is best taught by an older woman who's loved her children well. Not perfectly, by the way, or else none of us are qualified. I don't know of a single mother that's done it perfectly, nor a father for that matter. That's not the qualifier, perfectly, no, that's not what it's saying here. The sacrificial love of a mother knows no bounds, which is why it's something that must be taught, including how to discipline as someone that loves their children well. One of my favorite things to watch, and I, and, I, and I will say that I've seen this quite a bit, is when I see an older lady talking to a younger lady and they're talking about discipline and the different styles. Like, ah, oh, back then, we didn't worry about that. They'll be fine. And the younger lady, but I'm afraid of their, you know, it's going to hurt their feelings. It's just amazing. Amazing the dynamics in that conversation. The truth is, these are things that need to be taught. And by the way, smothering is very different than mothering, is it not? Which is why an older woman in the church that's loved her husband well will typically be a big help in how to raise your children as well. That's the paradigm to start with, by the way. An older woman that loves her husband well, by default, by default, because God's designed it this way, will typically love her children well. There's always a paradigm that follows in line. One of the worst things a young woman, mother can do is ask only other women, younger mothers, for advice. I'm all about you getting support. I don't think I'm against that in any way as a pastor, but I think sometimes the big disservice we do ourselves is to go to the wrong people for advice. Imagine if you both are not able to do something well and you're asking the other person for help. How can they help you? And then you go to somebody that's already done it, They've already have grown adults. They've a wonderful family dynamic. Why would you not ask them? Talk to someone that's gone through the whole process. The next qualifier here, quality, if you will, to be discreet. The idea here is to be sensible, self-controlled, just like men are to be, by the way. God still expects us to be under control, but whether we're men or women, there's not some stereotype that any of us need to fill here. He still wants us to be under self-control. To not let emotions take control of proper living. To keep things in balance with dignity. Next word here is chaste. The idea here is one of moral purity, committed and united to the husband as the church is to Christ. Remember that word earlier that we talked about with men, reverence? Well, that's kind of the idea for them. They need to be reverent. They need to be serious about the fact that they have a relationship between God and you. Here's a controversial one, though. Homemakers. Controversial today because it's frowned down by many. But the idea here is just as it sounds, to make the house a home. 
This is not getting into the context of whether a woman works or not. You have plenty of scriptures that say a woman can make a house a home and still work a job. Let's not go there. If you're arguing for it has to be a stay-at-home mom here, that's not the point of the text. I know a lot of mommy groups want to do that. The point of the text here is that you are to make your house a home. A homemaker. A woman is to be the decorator of the home, and men are to make sure that they are allowed to do so. I'm going to get into something a little controversial, but I think it's important that we really flesh this out. A man whose wife wants to make the house look more beautiful and welcoming, who has the ability and resources to do so, like you've got the funds, you can do it, ought to encourage and help his wife make that house a home. And if he refuses to do so, he's essentially stopping his wife from doing what God created her to do. There are many things that we as men can go without so our wife can spend on making the house a home. You don't need brand new stuff all the time. You can wait a couple years for the new iPhone model. It's totally possible. Now, if you can afford both, go for it. It's not the argument here. The problem is there's a lot of marriages where the wife is not able to make the house a home because the man's, the man's demanding that she do other things. It doesn't go to the context of whether a wife can work or not. Of course she can. The argument is if a wife has a desire, she wants to decorate, she wants to make this look good, she wants the kids to enjoy this area outside, then it's up to us men to provide. After all, let's be really technical here for a moment. We are called to love as Christ loved the church. And last time I checked, Jesus is not stingy with us. He gives sacrificially for his bride. He is not all demanding, as many of us men are sometimes. A woman should never be looked down on for wanting more for her home and how she cares for others. One of the greatest examples in my life, and I will say this without any reservation, is when I was growing up as a little boy, and I don't know, maybe most of you can relate if you've grown up in the 80s, 90s at least, we would have random strangers show up, knock at our door, and mom would literally make them tea and coffee, anything. Have them sit down. It didn't matter if it was 8 or 9 o'clock at night. It's not possible today. It's like, give me a call. Text me before you ever come. But back then, it was normal. It was normal and almost like the thrill and excitement for us as little kids. Like, oh, so-and-so's here. Great. And mom's getting everything ready. Dad has the easy job. Just opens the door. Yeah. <laughs> Walk right in. But mom took care of the guests. She really was welcoming in her home. It's a wonderful feature. Wonderful quality. And just as a side note, my mom worked as well. So it's not like you can't work and do those things. She stayed many years with us at home. And then it was, when it was difficult and my parents sent us to Christian school and they had six kids, my mom needed to make ends meet. And so she got a job. And here we are today. Pastor Roman, principal of a Christian school. Who would have thought? My, my own brother laughs about it last Thanksgiving. He's like, who would have thought, Roman? Christian school. 
principle. That's how God works. I thank my parents all the time for their sacrifice. Next quality is good. One that is seeking the good of others as God would have her seek. This is why jealousy and envy, which has been battled by older women in the church previously, is such a help to younger women. You've been there. You've done that. You've struggled with that. There's no shame in admitting we've all struggled with this at times in our lives. And this is an area where older women can be a huge help to younger women. There is an attitude that resembles God who is good. Here's another controversial one. Obedient to their own husbands. Women are submit to men. No, not exactly. That's not what this part says. Let's read that again. Obedient to their own husbands. Okay, there's a qualifier there. Well, let's unpack this for a little bit. Paul reiterates this in Ephesians with the word submit. The idea here is not of a woman just submitting to men, but rather a woman submitting to a husband who is to love her as Christ loves the church. There's an important context that has to be there. Sacrificially, that husband is to love his wife. This is why it's important, ladies, that if a man is not doing what he should as a man, he needs to be addressed by other men so we can deal with it directly head on. I'm parking on this for a moment, not because I want to, but because I believe it's urgent and important in today's culture that these things are addressed. Many of you have been to churches, have known of churches, I'm sure you've read of them online, where abusive relationships and marriages were covered up. I'm here to say, as your pastor, we're not doing that in this church. And if your husband is not doing what God has called him to, and he's abusive, I need you to speak to us about this, because this is important. This is not to be tolerated. There are too many churches that just go, eh, it's not a big deal. Let's just tuck it under the rug. Paint that plastic smile every Sunday. We'll be okay. This is not to be tolerated. It is difficult to do, but it's the right thing. So many have outright hidden abuse in their marriage, and the man has never been dealt with properly. What's unfortunate for me as a pastor is I am only in charge of what God has placed me in charge of over here. I know many a pastor, and I know many a people that are in these situations that have not come to leadership and have not dealt with it as God would want. And I'm telling you, and I'm asking you and pleading you on the basis of Scripture, please bring it before the church leadership. Not because any of us that are men have never done wrong. Of course we've all done wrong. But when this is something that's a pattern and you never see any light, we want better for you based on God's word. Not just for someone to be guilt-tripped. We want the man to live up to what God called him to as well. And if he's abusive and then asking you to submit, that's wrong. That is not what God's talking about here. Because the quality, qualification for a man that loves as God would is to love like Christ. Sacrificially. That means it's not about him all the time. And what he wants to do. And spend his money on. I'm sorry that I'm very adamant about this. But this is an area that is always bypassed in so many churches. And too many women are too afraid to say anything about it. And I'm calling 
this to account today. Anybody that knows that this is going on in their home, I ask that you please bring it to the leadership of the church. And I promise you, we're going to deal with it correctly, biblically. We're not going to be aggressive, but we're going to put somebody to account with what Scripture says. This is not to be tolerated in the church. Just like it shouldn't be tolerated if somebody cheats on their wife in the church. Just like so many other things that churches tolerate today. It should be a joy to be a wife and submit to your husband, ladies. Not a duty, not a drudgery. Not something that makes you more bitter. If you feel that you've been threatened or neglected, that is not on you. That's on your husband. And sometimes we misfire. But there are times where we've been talking about it for years and nothing's changed. That needs to be addressed. Every one of us that's been married long enough know we have seasons that are difficult. I'm not arguing about that. But we also know that certain things, if we leave unchecked, become bigger problems. The reason these qualities are to be taught by older women to younger women is so that God's word is not dishonored. And let me tell you right now, one of the worst pieces of advice you can give somebody that's struggling in this area is to say, don't worry about it, I'll pray for you. It'll work out. There are certain things that need to be done based on Scripture. And there are things that we all need to admonish one another with. It's not just ladies, it's not just men, both of us do. But we don't want God's word to be dishonored. And unfortunately, what ends up happening when these things are tolerated, God's word is dishonored. You're not dishonoring only people. You're dishonoring God's very word. And if you've got an offense with God, then you take it up with him. Don't take it up with the pastor that's just literally declaring what scripture clearly says. Next category. Younger men. Verses 6 through 8. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Likewise means that young men also have these qualities similar to young women at times. Which is why sober-minded, being level-headed, thinking straight is an important quality to be taught. I know that when I first started here, man, it's been almost 12 years now, there were a lot of things that I was just like adamant, over-the-top, passionate, let's go. And I had to kind of get recalibrated a little bit because some of my passions went a little too far. I was like passionate and no knowledge in some areas. I think every young man goes through that. Like, I'm going to show the world. (laughs) You know nothing. You're ignorant. (laughs) You need to grow up. Read some books. Be under someone else that knows more than you do. And then maybe you can go back and do what you want to do. In all things, a pattern of good works. The idea here is living out your life in such a way that God is glorified. Older men are to teach younger men what it means to live a life that's glorifying God. 
Which is where I'm going to stop for a second and say there's always a paradigm that you need to understand. There's always someone older than you. There's always someone younger than you, typically, unless you were just born. So think in relativity to that at times, too. So if you're someone that's in the 60s, 70s, there are people that are younger than you that you literally can still teach them, show them. If you're in your 20s, 30s, there are people that are younger that you can still teach and show. That's one of your roles as a parent if you have children. The reality is, Scripture's making a statement here, and Paul's making a statement here, that you are to teach that person that you're, you're, you have under you to live a God-glorified life. Not just to live life the way the world says to live life, but a God-glorified life. Which means that you don't just throw a bunch of standards together, hopefully it fits for our family, but you think through it in the process of Scripture. Well, why don't we not watch this? Why do we not listen to this? Why would we listen to this podcast but not that one? Examine it through the lens of Scripture. Teach them to be godlike. Teach them critical thinking. You don't want them just agreeing with every Christian garbage that comes out there. Oh, it's a preacher. must be right. No. Your life as a young man should be so much about God that people can't help but notice there's a pattern there. There's something different and unique about that young man. He lives a different life than other young men do. People are typically fickle, but a pattern of good works would be an incredible testimony, would it not? Here are some ways that that's possible. And he lists them out. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. The idea here is being so settled in the word that the life of integrity is displayed in in your life. People realize that you've been spending time with God and his word, that it comes right out in your life. You're displaying some of the qualities that older men have already learned. Self-control. You're more patient with others. I will say this, it's not, it's not instantly learned to be more patient with others. I think Pastor Rizzo said it best when he said, when you have a certain sin you struggle with, it's easy to find others that struggle in areas you don't struggle with and condemn them. But when it comes to yours, you're typically a little more quiet to condemn others. Lest you'd be caught yourself. You see, doctrine matters so much that a young man ought to know it when he teaches those in his family. Which is why it's the case even with his own wife and what she's taught. Men ought to know scripture better than wives so they can properly lead their homes. If God's called you to be like Christ, you don't get to give yourself a pass on this. Your standard is Jesus. That's a very high standard. So many Christian men never know what Bible studies their wives are a part of, could care less if the teaching is sound, and as long as she has some good girl time, they're fine with it. Man, you need to be discerning. It's a shame when it's an older man that's not discerning. Good doctrine leads to good living. Terrible doctrine leads to terrible living. 
Ask the many whose marriages have been affected by a special speaker or author that their wife read behind the scenes that now thinks everything that they were taught is old-fashioned garbage. There are plenty today that have been affected by it. So much so that many have left their marriages over the fact that some speaker told them to just do it. Proper teaching is so crucial that it's not optional for the man of God. You don't get to just pick and choose whether you should do this. God's called you to it. What a young man has taught matters because it's something that he will teach others as well when he becomes older. A young man needs older men who know better than he does in the matters of God, which is why the right older man is to be pursued. One that is of integrity and who has led others well under them. Whenever we want to find somebody that leads well, you need to see who, if you will, has followed them in their pattern. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. This is speaking the truth with a life that backs it up. Unfortunately, many speak truth with a life of hypocrisy, do they not? Paul says something similar to Timothy in holding fast the pattern of sound words which he heard from Paul. It is always crucial for those of us that are learning the things of God that we understand who the source is that we're learning it from. And we pay attention to that source. People can disagree with what you say, but if it's done with integrity and it's sound based on Scripture, the words are backed by the life you've already lived. And it's very difficult for people to push back even if they strongly disagree with your perception of things according to them. If you practice what you preach, what it means to love Christ with all your heart, soul, and mind, if you practice what you preach and how you lead your family, then it's very hard for people to push back against that, even though they might not like your Christian faith at all. Lots of young men are talkers, and unfortunately so many are just talk. Young men are typically cocky. They think they know it. They're better than the next guy. Let me show them. Oh, you could do this? I could do better. It's only when you get older that I think you realize, that that really didn't matter. All that stuff I thought I was comparing with other people, that really didn't matter all that much. What matters is that I live a sound life before God and, and my words that I say are living and matching up. It's important to know how to speak well, not just what to say. And that's something that young men need to be taught. Have you ever been told the truth with probably the worst kind of presentation? Like whether it's like absolute fury. And yeah, it was a true statement, but man, it could have been approached a lot better than that. This is something that young men need to be taught. How to have sound words, how to actually have proper speech that can't be condemned. And the last part here, bond servants, verses 9 through 10. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. 
the Christian church stunned the world back then. Because in their church midst, there were masters and slaves attending in one congregation. What's even more astounding is you had a slave that many times was an elder over their master in the church. How's that for role confusion? Wait, how does this work? Like, I'm working for you, but really you're over me in the church. That must have been an interesting dynamic. What's even more incredible is that the elder of a church was possibly a slave and his master was in his congregation. That's astounding. Next part we see here is obedient to their own masters. It's clearly a reference to what's going on during this time. The obedience was only to be to their own masters that were over them. Paul also addresses masters in other texts, especially in Ephesians, where he tells them not to be threatening to those under them, but to treat them justly as God does. And I know this is an area that's very controversial, but I tend to find that Spurgeon nails it on this point. Here's what Spurgeon says. I do not think for a moment Paul believed that the practice of slavery ought to exist. He believed to the fullest extent that the great principles of Christianity would overthrow slavery anywhere, and the sooner they did so, the better pleased would he be. But for the time being, as it was custom to have slaves, they must adorn the doctrine of God their Savior in the position in which they were. There are a lot of things we do as a culture today that I would think 100 years from now, 200 years from now, that was insane. Like, I want you to think historically, when have we ever lived in history where it's promoted, I mean, I'm talking promoted at a cultural level, to change your gender? At a cultural level. I'm not talking the offshoots here and there. We've had them all of history. I'm not arguing that. But it's openly promoted that a man is no longer a man, a woman is no longer a woman. Probably get a warning on this with YouTube later on. Here's the next area. Well-pleasing in all things. And those areas are, what's, what's, how are we pleasing in all things? How are bond servers, how, how are employees to their bosses, if you will, are to be, how are they to be pleasing? Well, here's the first one. <laughs> not answering back. Wait a second. That's not what the Bible says, does it? Not answering back. Paul, are you serious? The idea here is reliable and not the type of servant in today's context or employee who always talks back to the boss. Who argues with them over the little things. By the way, it's a little habit we can't stand in children, but we still do it as adults, don't we? Don't you know who I am? You need to listen to me. Mom, look what you did to that person. I want to back up a little bit. That's how immature we are. We expect from our children what we don't do as adults when it comes to people in authority over us. Amazing. I wonder where our kids got it. Maybe we can make a connection? Employees that just constantly like to argue and contradict their bosses are not good employees according to Scripture. You can disagree with your boss, by the way. But what's the heart behind it? There are times to approach a boss that's not doing right. 
That's not the point of this text here. Esther approached the king and it could have been her head. The argument here is a person that lives this way. They're always looking for a fight with others. They've always got to get their point across. One of the most amazing things as you get older and you kind of understand the dynamics of all these things, you see what scripture says, is when someone wants to pick a fight with me on certain things, I'm going, you win. It's not worth it. That was a stupid thing to argue about. You can pick blue. I don't care. Go for it. I was going to pick black. Whatever. Like, certain things are just not worth the argument. The next one is not pilfering. The idea here is stealing or taking what someone else's. And that could be their time, money, or resources for your own benefit. Keeping back a part that's owed them essentially is what this word communicates well. Stealing can be done in one of two ways. Taking from someone something that's theirs or not giving them what's theirs. And we steal from God in those two ways. We either take from him what's not really ours and what he has not blessed us with, or we don't give him what we ought to give him that he requires of us. Next part we see is showing all good fidelity. The idea here is a matter of good faith. You are an employee that can be trusted. Can the one that's over you trust you to do what you should? So many of us speak in such spiritual overtones about our love for God, but when we work for others, you can't tell. We're always complaining, always groaning, always moaning, always frustrated. Yeah, I love the Lord. Sure you do. With that attitude, you're totally showing it. I mean, it's amazing, right? We have little children sing songs, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. You're right? Like, and when we get, become adults, like, if we're miserable and we know it, right? That's what we end up becoming. And yet we want to present Christ to people like that. Is our word our bond? Are we looking for only what we can get out of it? Here's an understanding as someone who's been in authority, and I want to personally mention this, that those that do more than they're asked are the ones that we trust the most. Not the one that just gets it exactly right, or a little under. The one that does more than they're asked are the most faithful. The one that you don't have to say, hey, can you come in tomorrow and help me with this thing right here that I've got going on? The one that goes, hey, I'm coming in tomorrow to help with that, and I'm going... I was going to ask, thank you. I appreciate it. Can you be trusted when they're not watching? They may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. I love the way the New Living Translation puts this verse. Then they will make the teaching about our God our Savior attractive in every way. What a statement. You're making God's word attractive in the way that you work. Oh, Pastor Roman, I don't know all the stuff. I don't know how to really dive into all the deep theology. How about you prove it by working hard? Because that actually proves something about what God's taught you in his word. 
Lazy Christians are the worst examples of the gospel. They're essentially saying, I'm not going to do anything that God the Father called me to, nor will I do it for you. And yet we're offering them a free gift that Jesus himself paid for with his life. If you want Jesus to be known, show it by the way you submit to those over you. Instead of talking back, taking from them time, money, and resources, being someone they can count on even when others do not. And they've taken advantage. So in conclusion, this applies to all of us, how are you living it out? How are you living it out? If you're an older man in the church, are you someone that younger men can look up to as being level-headed, respected, one that lives out their faith well, is patient, and loves others well? Is that you? Maybe you're an older woman in the church. How have you done in how you speak of others? Teaching the younger ladies what it means to love your husband and your children. Is that something you were able to teach them? Maybe you're a younger woman still trying to figure out this whole marriage thing and parenting. Seek out godly, wise, older women in the church that are a good example in these areas. And remember, not perfect, okay? We're not looking for perfection here, but a good example. Are you in competition or seeking the good of others? If you're a younger man, you usually feel like you've got something to prove. That's all of us that are younger. We've got to prove to people we can make it, whatever the category is. Prove that Scripture matters most to you by being diligent in that. And I promise you, God will align so many other things if you do that. If you make God's word and sound doctrine a priority, then it'll come out of your life. God will bless a lot of those things that you didn't think he would. Be careful with things that don't really matter. Like what you say and how you say it, it does matter. Take it seriously enough to learn from those that are more mature than you. Maybe you're an employee working under someone and that someone can be quite difficult at times. I know. I'm sorry. I understand that. How's your attitude? How committed are you to that job? Eh, 50-50. Take it or leave it today. I'll try again tomorrow. Are you trustworthy? Maybe you're saying, well, I'm self-employed and I'm in charge, right? Eh, you don't get away with that one. You still have a master that sees it all. God is your master. He knows. He knows full well what you and I do. And he oversees all of us. Because we are his children, those of us that know Christ. We are all called to be faithful in these areas that were mentioned. It doesn't matter which category we fall under. All of us are to live out scripture as God has given us the enablement by the Spirit.